everybody. Welcome to Dwarf Fortress Talk. I'm Rainseeker, and this is Captain Tastic. Hello. And Toady One. Hey. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> we are <laughs> great intro. That's right. On top of it. Feel the power. <laughs> we are back with you guys, and we enjoyed your comments and questions over the last month. We're going to be doing questions over the la- uh, second half of the show. Uh, first half, we're going to be talking about uh, the underground, mysteries of the underground, animal men kingdoms, <laughs> or to be PC, animal people kingdoms. Oh, that's right. well, they are the animal peoples. It's true. Animal people. Smash the patriarchy. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, there's there's hardly any ant men in an ant man kingdom, <laughs> but there's but, a few. Yeah, I mean, happy. they got wings too, probably. I mean, if 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 they're uh, if they're like regular ants, that's uh, a good question. Are your you know people going to be like animals or behave like animals? Or are they going to be kind of uh, like they are now, kind of tribal? Yeah, they they're they're going to be even more advanced, really, than than they were before. Uh, right, I, there there was this kind of 2D level of advancement back in the old versions where you had batmen flying on tame giant bats with blowguns that had uh, that were made out of cave spider legs that had cave spider venom on little darts and stuff. And then we moved into the 3D version, and I lost some of my ties to the the underground there, and so I had to drop all that. And then they just became kind of these uh, these savage, rarely encountered monsters, um, and it was kind of boring. And now we're going back to having the animal peoples, at least the underground animal peoples, like like bat men and the snake men and lizard men and rat men and uh, is that it? Rats, bats, snakes, and lizards. <laughs> Olms, that's right, Olm men. <laughs> I think slug men too. Uh, yeah, I think yeah, slugmen yeah. in the savage swamps. Oh, there's there's slugmen, tigermen, and leechmen and snailmen uh, outside, and there, there's going to be more animal peoples outside over time, and they're probably going to going to be um, use slightly different rules than the underground one. The underground ones, just because they're underground, are going to be kind of more more evil in a sense, and at least more a little more civilized also with their uh, with their little weapons and things, and the above ground ones were supposed to be a bit more in harmony with with uh, the overall nature and forest spirits and so on. Although this is this is one of those things that hasn't hasn't quite gelled yet. But in any case, for the for the underground this time around, there's there's going to be uh, little groups of creatures. Uh, they can attack your fortress. You can bump into them in adventure mode with their little crude weapons and uh they're they're probably going to be riding riding various cave critters and so on. So it should it should harken back a bit to to when the underground was more challenging for that reason for having to deal with uh I remember back in the 2D version you'd have like rat men pour out of the uh pour out of the chasm and snake men come up out of your wells and stuff and uh that that was a lot more entertaining than you know, digging into the mountain and finding a really uh, packed river that just has a bunch of garbage in it, which is how it works in the current 3D version. It's very tragic. But now that the underground is world-spanning, you have edges of the map. And once you've got edges of the map to work with, then it it isn't a problem that you don't have these kind of infinite bottomless squares that I was able to exploit in the 2D version. 
Whereas in the 3D version, you can't exploit them in the same way. In the in the, in the 2D version, if you had a had a, a like a bottomless pit, um, it would have access to floor squares next to it, and so you could have a rat men just kind of jump out. But in the 3D version, you'd have an actual deep pit with some infinite tiles at the bottom, and you can't really have a rat man jump out of those because <laughs> you just kind of fall back and be dead. Uh, so <laughs> now we've got edges of the map for them to walk in on a floor. And once we've got these floors plus uh, access off map, uh, suddenly it's it's a lot easier to make legitimate spawning that doesn't just feel like, you know, hey, here's a random creature, which is something that we don't ever do. Like right now, every creature comes from somewhere, right? It comes from some edge or comes from some some place. I mean, if if you have a if you're suddenly attacked by a monster, even in the current version, it means that it made it there. It it didn't just just pop up. So it made it on an actual path from some edge of the map. Um, you know, even if it's deep inside your fortress, it means that you left some some hole open for it to get in. And that's it's going to be the same in this one, except they're going to have a lot more access points uh, once you break into a cave underground. Right. So once you break into a cave, what is their goal going to be? Well, <laughs> it depends. It depends on what you've got. To, what you've got. Uh, so if we're talking about animal peoples, uh, the animal peoples don't really have much more of a brain than they used to, and they're just bent on causing as much trouble as they can, uh, violently. Uh, to your poor, your poor critters. I mean, I, I don't have a, like a notion of them coming in there as kind of a raiding party. It's, it's possible that could happen. Like the, um, the rat men, if they're, if they're converted into, to food and item raiders or something, which would be kind of fitting their personality. Although then they'd end up a lot with like, uh, like the kobolds. The, uh, that, that's quite possible. Right now it's all about just, just killing as many dwarves as they can before they, uh, before they sneak back off. But we'll also have the return of um, uh, gremlins, for instance. Uh, if nobody remembers the the, the gremlin, uh, it's because their their profile in 3D shrank down to basically nothing, whereas in 2D they were a lot more fun uh, mm-hmm. coming in. And uh, I mean, if you don't if you don't if you don't remember them, you should you should uh, block out your ears for about 15 seconds. But the uh, the gremlin would come in. And it would pull levers, jump on pressure plates, release animals from chains, and release animals from cages. And it would be hidden. So you wouldn't notice it uh, until it, it announced that something horrible had happened. <laughs> and uh, so that's it's some it's it's another another problem that can kind of sneak in from below that's a lot of uh, a lot of fun to deal with. Now don't uh, don't monkeys and other primates do that as well? Like Use uh, lovers and stuff? Uh, not in our game. I don't know if they can be trained to do that in, in labs and things. I'm sure they can, but, it, <laughs> but no one has, <laughs> no one has the, uh, none, no, no monster but the gremlin has the mischievous, uh, <laughs> the mischievous tag on it. I mean, monkeys right now, they'll come and steal your stuff from you. They'll steal your food. They'll steal your items. And they'll generally, generally harass you and surround your camp, especially in the beginning when they're, when they're most troublesome. Yeah. But the, the gremlin is, is particularly uh, set up to to cause mechanical chaos in your fortress, yeah, uh, especially if you have a flood mechanism, boy. Yeah, yeah, there are important levers, and you used to have to care about that. You used to have to station guards at levers or something like that to uh, to prevent trouble. Uh, but that just hasn't been the case for more than a year now, or a couple years, and that's not good. We we need to we need to bring trouble back to the fortress. <laughs> <laughs>
Because it's always, I mean, it was always one of my greatest kicks looking at the forum and someone's like, it said something, someone has pulled a lever. <laughs> and, you know, then my whole fortress was flooded or whatever. And, uh, you know, I enjoy that kind of thing. I enjoy it when that happens. Uh, because it's not a bug, it's just something horrible that happened. So do you enjoy it when people lose tragically? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's great fun. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if it's, it's, if it's game. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 if if it's a bug or something, that's that's another story. I mean, that's always miserable. But if if there's actual you know uh, uh, trouble that came about through some some series of game mechanics and player mistakes or even a random event, uh, that that's that's good. I like that because um, and I don't think it, I mean it's just part of the idea of the game is is losing to further the richness of the world we're only getting started on actually having that matter but i always want to have that um that kind of be a centerpiece and so adding more ways for people to die and to have fun losing <laughs> is uh is going to be a continued theme here uh, even after this release i mean i'm going to get right to improved sieges after this and that's going to have the uh, we talked about those before and that's uh <laughs> it's just the same thing again right i mean from within and from without your your fortress is going to be squeezed and i mean you can shut it all off in the init if you just want to have a kind of peaceful peaceful time making your mega constructions and so on but uh if you want to if you want to play something that that feels more like an active universe or active fantasy world or whatever where there's a bit of torment and a bit of a bit of trouble then there's going to be plenty uh, even in this next release, and then continuing on after that even more. So we're going to have dwarves now saying, Hawk, you stay away from that lever! Uh, well, <laughs> they usually don't notice before it's too late, but I think that would surprise a gremlin. It might pause a few turns. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> the, yeah, can you get, I mean, can you have uh, uh, these gremlins be noticed by uh, dwarves if they have skill high enough? Or? Uh, yeah, the, the, uh, there's actually a new skill for that. Before, spotting a sneaking creature was difficult, and you pretty much had to have them in the same square. But now, as, they, um, as they're on duty, looking out for people more, and as they spot people like this, they, they practice their uh, situational awareness, which will increase their range and ability to spot little critters. Of course, the gremlin is, is pretty good pretty good at, at sneaking around so having some some passive defenses like um locked doors and and so on protecting the levers uh help although i don't remember it's quite possible that a gremlin can pick locks <laughs> <laughs> well, we have mr scamps came down from his tree to visit so uh, hopefully he will be peaceful we're going with the not locking him out method this time so that he doesn't add his meow soundtrack but that means that he is a uh, ever-present danger Lurking in the room. <laughs> jumping up on your levers and such. Yeah, yeah, jumping up on me and scratching me and so on. He's, he's generally friendly, but he likes to scratch uh, from behind when you're sitting in a chair. He likes to go up and just whack you and run away. So Tarn, let's talk about some of those um, those titans that are going to come up through the underground, forgotten beasts. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's, that's right. You I, had another I like danger your that's down creature. there. <laughs> the vomit, the vomit bob, bob with the 
it's got a round shell. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's so like a yeah. I mean, someone called it an oyster. I mean, I I personally have of that opinion as well. I don't like oysters that much, but but uh, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I mean, the the, the 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 thing about a vomit creature is is uh, I mean, you have to wonder, you know, who ate the food that made it, but. <laughs> It's uh it's a it's a kind of a frightening thing. Um Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean I've I've expressed reservations about it, but as of now it is still a creature in the game. Um you know, anything could be composed of vomit or glass, mud, and it also dips into the raw files and picks out any of your rocks or metals. Um right now it leaves out the super super metals like um adamantine or whatever. Uh, just for the sake of not making the creatures impossible. <laughs> right. But, uh, but, but it's, 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 it's still there. So a, uh, alligator without its skin on, as opposed to like a lobster with, um, iron skin, th- those would be different difficulties, basically, is what you're saying. Yeah, right now it doesn't even bother trying to assess the difficulty because it assumes that these mega beasts, uh, they are kind of classed with the mega beasts that come from the underground. They're supposed to be sort of the the ultimate challenges of the game. So it's uh, they just tosses them at you. But um, there 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 might be, uh, especially when we start getting to uh, random creatures that aren't individual mega beasts, but are supposed to be sort of a whole species of creatures in a population, which is not not going in for this time. But it's where we're heading. Then we'll have to uh, probably gauge a little bit, you know, if they should be a little deeper or if they should be way out in the savage wilderness or something like that, rather than just being, you know, wandering the plains with a giant steel, you know, twenty foot tall monster. Uh, I mean, that kind of makes the place savage by definition. There shouldn't be a lot of cities there. <laughs> but I mean, we're we're slowly getting slowly easing our way into this process, but it's it's yet another thing to make the underground uh, difficult <laughs> or more interesting, yeah. as it were. <laughs> are uh, are these guys gonna have like histories and stuff? Like this guy was born, you know, under a cursed moon, you know, <laughs> in the year four. I mean, they they have they have um, they are created at the beginning of world generation. And as we've, as we mentioned last time, I think, you have the, the titans above ground, which are randomly generated, uh, above ground creatures, which are oriented to a particular region. So, right now, as it stands in the code, if you've got a titan in a kind of neutral region, it just makes it into a big monster that isn't particularly uh, disgusting, you know, it, it keeps its skin on and so on. It doesn't like, like strip its skin off and strip its nose off or whatever and do sick things to it. Um, and, but it's just like a large, large creature. And then in the evil regions, it does more twisted stuff to them. And then in the in the good regions right now, all it does is avoid making it like a carrion animal or something. So it's not like the big happy vulture of love or something. But uh, it avoids carrion animals, which is sort of a biased thing, but I thought it was okay. And uh, scary venomous animals. And it it also um. Gives them a a kind of sentence that has no meaning, but just makes them in their description that makes them sound like they're like they're a um, like they're a, a sort of a contemplative or good creature. Because I had I had kind of the like like the last good titan I looked at was a a giant shrimp with <laughs> with hair. It had it had purple hair, maroon hair, 
and a and a long swinging trunk. So it was kind of like a shrimp version of Snuffleupagus or something. <laughs> and and it said that it it emanated an aura of of giving and kindness. So even oh, more like Snuffy. Yeah, and so it's just a happy big shrimp that's you know lovable, and lived in like a good ocean or something. And it, yeah, so what was that? Does it kill you on sight, or are they <laughs> neutral yet? There, there's a thing in the note that says that they shouldn't kill you on sight. All right, <laughs> but right and now they generates right. an aura of kindness and it will snip your head off with a yeah. Drink. But right now it kills you on sight. <laughs> <laughs> there's a note to take that out. Do they which have? Is well, they have like layers and habitats. Like, oh, here's a ring of you know rocks, and this is where it makes its nest or whatever. Yeah, right now they they would all just be stuck in caves like regular mega beasts, the ones on the outside. And we of course want to do more with that, especially for the the, the good ones or whatever, because <laughs> it's like yeah. just putting snuffle up I guess in a cave is kind of cruel, but <laughs> like a, some kind of cave mammoth or something. But the uh, the, the right now, right now they're they're the same as ever. Um, I'm not sure if we'll change that this time or not. It's going to be one of those things where uh, it's time based and we're almost, we're out of time. <laughs> right. So so but but it, yeah no we we we've thought about that a little bit like what kind of homes each of the mega beasts should have. Even the regular stock mega beasts, putting them all in caves is a little weird. Um, like things like giants, I guess giants live in caves, but you know, maybe they shouldn't live in caves. And the the um, those are the above ground ones, and the I, I mean I don't I don't even remember what the original original point was, but I was also going to talk about the underground ones as well. But <laughs> they all get they all get a um, they all get kind of a the, like there's the there's the kind of good slash evil slash normal titans above ground, and all of the the ones that live underground. Oh uh, yeah, we were talking about histories, so. The 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 ones that live above ground are treated like regular mega beasts. So if you have an evil or normal titan, they will occasionally go on the rampage like they do during regular world generation. And so in that way, they can build up a history for themselves. There isn't an explanation of why they're there. We haven't gotten to mythologies and so on and whether or not gods exist and when the religions popped up and so on. We do have the kind of those religions popping up for the mega beasts. But as for the normal pantheons and so on, they don't they don't have any explanation. And the the beasts are the same way. And right now, the the forgotten beasts. Uh, the reason we named them forgotten beasts is so that we could kind of not give them histories. But uh, <laughs> they're forgotten. You know, they don't have histories. But that they're sense to me. but they're generated. They're generated at the beginning of world generation and just sit there. So theoretically, they could they could be given histories as as well in the future. And um, there's also so- yeah. Go ahead. When you say they sit there, do they uh, do they generate more of themselves, or are they just like you got a certain number and that's that's it? It's just like yeah, it's just like mega beasts. There's a there's a certain number like the, there's a certain number of titans in the world. There's a certain number of forgotten beasts. There's much many more forgotten beasts because you'll clear them out not super fast, but you'll clear them out fairly quickly as you as you dig fortresses throughout your world and bump into the layers. Uh, there's there's a forgotten beast per layer right now. And I mean that's that's quite a few layers because there's there's the the underground is is huge so the I think a smaller world which is 33 by 33 you know have a couple couple what a couple dozen forgotten beasts and uh, I could give you the exact number in a second 27 
And um, so there's there's quite a few, and but they don't really have histories. Whereas a world that size would only have say a single Titan in it because there's just not a lot of space for them. Um, while there and there would also be um, you know the the standard four mega beasts as well. You have a dragon and you know that kind of thing. So so there's there's plenty of um, plenty plenty of little critters uh, running around. And if you're in, if you're in the largest worlds, uh, you know there's hundreds and hundreds of forgotten beasts. And, uh, you know, dozens, dozens of titans. And then on top of that is, is the even more hidden fun stuff, which, which I'm not really gonna spoil, but the whole, um, hidden, the actual hidden fun stuff people talk about, the kind of game ending stuff, when you dig down through the bottom, that's all changed as well. And there are some random elements down there as well, uh, in terms of critters. So it should be, it should be cool. Lots of, lots of new, new little random critters and, uh, Pain and suffering when you go down below. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> stuff, um, stuff you guys deserve. <laughs> Concerning cave entrances, like for the mega beasts, I, I just know this from adventure mode. But they kind of, uh, when you're sent to go kill like a dragon or something, you kind of go to the area where the cave is, and the entrance is just kind of like a hole in the ground. That's right. <laughs> is, is that going to be changed eventually soon? Where it's like it's actually a cave. Yeah, so so I'm sure it's going to be eventually. Yeah, I mean when when cliffs come back, right? When we get when we get a notion of a cliff as kind of an external feature. The problem with cliffs coming back was was that you you didn't have a way to climb. They were everywhere, and you didn't have a way yeah. to climb in adventure mode. But cliffs can can start to come back first. I think probably as external features that are they're just like the lava and so on. Uh, like lava and bottomless pits and so on used to be these, these features underground. There, there can be special features above ground where you have, you have a bit more interesting things that also can have a handle on so it doesn't just put them everywhere. And at that time you can start to think about a cave entrance that looks more interesting. The problem was that there's, there's no, um, real sheer faces to make a cave uh, entrance look more like you'd expect a cave entrance to look like. So it just has to dig yeah. down, right? It just has to dig in the dirt until it, <laughs> until it gets a cave entrance for you, which is really kind of disappointing because you go and they all look like these, these little pits. And, uh, that, yeah, so, so it's something we want to change, but it's something that, that has that intermediate step that, um, needs to go in first. And I'm not, I'm not sure when the above ground thing, when we'd put in things like canyons and mesas and, uh, other interesting constructions above ground. So no, there's no no poo creatures either, though. Uh, there, uh, I, it was a close thing, uh, because <laughs> in the uh, in the um, I mean, it was literally a decision I had to make going down this list because in the in the hidden fun stuff, of course, if you get the um, if you get the tentacle demons. Then you get a layer scattered with you know various filth on the ground, and you know there's brown filth and yellow filth and so on and and I mean it's it's not clearly stated, uh, but it's just this but it's a material that I had to put in properties for right so there's these hard coated filth materials, and when I was going down the list you know do I want creatures made out of mud do I want creatures made out of vomit do I want creatures made out of glass there's all these hard coded materials and I was just like yeah 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 no <laughs> no uh on the filth <laughs> but there can there's there's creatures um made out of the grime 
And the grime material is the material that collects on your um, your body slowly over time. And it's also the material that's used in swamp water. Uh, okay. So, so there's this. It's just this. I just needed this material called grime for these miscellaneous purposes. It's just crap, right? Just stuff that, stuff that collects over time, and um, the the uh, um, the creatures can be made out of uh, when 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 a creature is made out of that, it just says composed of grime and filth. So <laughs> if if you want to, you know, call that poo, even though it's not. It's possible for you to extend your imagination. Uh, what, what about an infection? Can you get an infection material or something? Or? So, so there's no there's no actual kind of microbes at this time. The grime is the closest you can get to that because as your grime increases on your body, it slowly collects over time, and uh, you can wash it off most of the way with water, and then the rest of the way if you use soap. And if you if the grime material highly increases your chance of infection, so it's it's just kind of the filth and so on that collects on your body, and that's the closest we've got to actually being. I mean, like having a giant blob of bacteria or something uh, is is not something that's currently supported. Although you could have a blob of like slime, it could use a slime tissue template, um, and in the same way you can have a kind of a generic blobs of of muscles or whatever. I don't think I have that, but those, these are these are possibilities. Um, for exploration. <laughs> you yeah, have, so you, yeah, you could have something made of bone, just just describe it as a something made of bone. Right? Yeah, yeah, using the templates, that's right. You can use bone, skin, fat, a uh, <laughs> big fat blob with a tail or Blood. something. <laughs> it's always interesting when it puts things like shells on the blob because you, I mean, you eventually get to, I mean, it's always cute when it's like this is a, you know, a big mass of coal and it has a tail. <laughs> <laughs> So it's very cute uh, having these little. I mean, they're all huge monsters, but they can have little tails or little wings. It's um, here to avenge its the death of thousands and thousands of little pieces of coal. That's right. That's right. And and the, and the trees and so on that that were burned to make them or something. So it's like a big elf. Exactly. Big dirty elf. <laughs> <laughs> well, elves are dirty too, right? They don't use soap. Yeah, yeah, no soap. So magically immune to grime. <laughs> right now, they would just get kind of nasty. They can wash them. Uh, they can wash themselves with water to get their grime level from seven to three. But uh, to get down to get down below that, they'd have to break all of their their principles and so on, unless they can find some kind of uh, material that has the soap tags on it that isn't actually made out of an animal. Can you use sand? Maybe. I mean, that's what they used to do. Um, well, I mean, this is, this is, I mean, you can't do it now, but, but, uh, we're welcome to explore these kinds of, um, these kinds of things. I mean, I know, uh, I don't know much about historical uses of sand like that. I mean, all I, all I can see is like the, the, the animals like elephants dusting themselves and so on, taking baths like that. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I don't know much about the mechanics there because they seem to always come out dirtier. But maybe, maybe, it, uh, maybe it's useful for them. Of course it is, but I don't know quite what's going on there. Right. Look out! I've got a little baby cat in my lap now. He's wandered over here. He jumped down from the cat tree and wandered over to my lap. Managed to put the mouse on the ground. <laughs> so, Tarn, what, what's going to happen with the aquifer layer with the uh, new underground caves? 
so the the aquifer is still there. I mean, much much to people's um, eternal disgust. Uh, I haven't quite knocked knocked the uh, the geology out of me yet uh, to get rid of the aquifer, but it's it's just like the regular features uh, in the current version. You've got you know bottomless pits and so on in the currently released version, and those. Um, at least if things are working correctly, won't interact with the aquifer when you start the map. It puts this kind of uh, dead zone around them so that the aquifer doesn't immediately start pouring into those and uh, mess up your CPU and so on. So in the same way, if you've got an aquifer running through the uh, the soil layers on a map when you start, uh, it will be separated from the underground caverns. Now, that still means that you'd have a really hard time punching through it, and once you punch through it, you'd probably start flooding the underground. Uh, but the flooding of the underground, if it lands in some water and so on, and there's quite a bit of water underground, uh, it shouldn't flood the entire cavern. And because there are things like underground lakes and so on, I mean, flooding the underground is always going to be this kind of lingering uh, or looming threat uh anyway aquifer or not <laughs> so uh i'm not quite sure how that should be handled in the end because i mean people definitely want to have water underground things like lakes and rivers and so on but if you can always channel that down and flood the deeper areas there's there's sort of a a problem with that uh in terms of of things attacking from below and so on uh we've we've thought a bit of it through in terms of the really deep underground stuff being able to work around that a bit and with the siege improvements, we'll, we'll probably be working with that a bit more. But uh, right now, it's it's still going to be a problem, but not really more of a problem than it already was, at least. What do you think is the most exciting thing about the new underground stuff? So, well, I think, I mean, for me, the I, I, I kind of like uh, exploration and things uh, like that a lot, and... Just the, I think just the fact that, especially if you haven't played the game before, but even if you have, when you break into the underground, the fact that it's not like it was before, where it suddenly breaks out, and um, uh, and and reveals the entire area, so you'd, you'd suddenly see, you know, the entire cave, right? When you when you when you break in to a hidden area, now that there's this this um, I mean, I guess you'd call it a fog of war thing. It's kind of like that. Uh, it's just this area around each dwarf as it walks. That's it's not really CPU expensive, so it's not giving you a perfectly accurate picture. But it's just when you're when when a dwarf gets near to the the boundary of the unexplored area, it explores a bit more of it for you. But just being able to kind of exploring explore out through the cave like that's uh, pretty exciting for me, especially as we add more and more underground feature so you can actually find a new place and it's something that you're you're bumping into and then the the monsters will be able to flow in from from places you can't see you know through the through the the boundaries of the explored area and so on i think that's all going to be really cool um i mean i really like the the random creatures too uh that's that's another thing that that's really uh a lot of fun for me to to work on uh but those 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 kind of things i guess so I'm, I'm trying to come up with a strategy to actually be able to go down and, and get minerals without being destroyed. <laughs> Use magma and uh, traps. Uh, probably so. Yeah, you just traps are still traps. cheap. It's true. 
um, I mean, yeah, there's going to be this. There's always gonna be these these problems, like uh, you know, if you if you if you're digging down and you break into a new area, you know, if your if your first inclination is to go in with wall building dwarves and just wall it off, <laughs> it's like that's that's. I mean, that might be safe, but it's it's sort of a a problem from an overall design perspective if when you hit the exciting areas the first reaction is just like ah, ah and just <laughs> just kind of bottling yourself up and and so on instead of uh, sort of a risk versus reward system you know I mean w- w- there should be reasons to go in there right. and right now we've got things like mushroom forests and so on which would be you know easily accessible wood and so on. If you're going to get attacked by, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what that, that that's the kind of thing where we're eventually going to need to uh, bring in some more of this fantasy crap, right? Like utter yeah. crap. Like here's a big yeah, buried yeah. underground temple with some ghosts with and stuff, and it's got like sword. you know golden swords or something and giant chests, and it's just like there. Uh, yeah. It'd be preferable to have a reason for it to be there, <laughs> but there are plenty of reasons you can come up with, right? So it's not—it's not like it's—it's it's, uh, breaking the fact that we have this kind of holistic world thing going on. If we throw in some crap, as long as the crap has a reason to be there, and it would make it more fun to dig underground. But right now, it is kind of—it um, still has a sort of naturalistic type of feel to it, where there's just—it's it's like new biomes and things. There's not a lot of super weird. I mean, unless you count a blob of vomit with a shell as super weird, which you probably should. Uh, there's there's not a lot of super weird stuff down there um, in terms of like uh, forgotten civilized uh, stuff. But okay. we're we're not we're not against that by any means. It's just harder to add. Um, what are you doing, Mister Cat? Mister Cat likes to chew on the finger. Mister Cat's got claws and teeth. So. I don't know if this has been answered yet. I'm probably, I've, I've probably asked it. I'm sure other people have asked it. But will an adventurer be able to go into like the underground realms and just like rampage across the underworld? <laughs> yeah, this is this is. I mean, adventure mode gets shafted all the time, right? I mean, adventure mode yeah. just gets worse and worse, basically, right? It's like adventure mode is basically unplayable now. It was slightly playable in 2D, I think, more so than it is now. And so we're gonna we're gonna take some time next month, uh, most likely, to rectify that situation somewhat. Uh, and the idea is that the caves, whereas a cave used to be a annoying place, disconnected from everything else, that was just like winding tunnels where you try and search for a giant and not find it. That's used to be what a cave was. You now they get messages of it, like crushing your friend's heads in. Yeah, yeah, it's just it's 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 really bad. And now, while it still will probably be difficult to find individuals, the caves will at least um, more than likely connect into the underground layers. And when they when they connect down into the underground layers, then that gives your adventurer more to do down there. Especially, ah, especially if that was a cat, by the way, causing trouble. Uh, especially if the new entities associated to the animal peoples are uh, realized uh, with with little things now I'm not we're, we're kind of in between on deciding uh, the properties of the animal people entities in terms of you know do, do they rove around with camps do they have permanent settlements so mostly they'll be attacking you from the edge when you're in dwarf mode in adventure mode you might find a few more things that we kind of throw in um, around and about down there and 
that 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 should add some more for you to do. I mean, without the the amazing forgotten temples and so on, there's not going to be a lot of looting and so on for adventurers to do. But at least something to do down there. And also, we're going to tie caves into the actual super hidden fun stuff in terms of allowing an adventurer to go down and uh, encounter uh, troubles that are kind of beyond their um, ability to handle. <laughs> <laughs> with with some interesting uh, fun and good times and restarting your game after you get wasted. <laughs> Did um, now so the way I understand it is you can dig down into a cavern and and uh, how many tiles is it below the initial surface? Is there a set or is it random? Or? It's a bit randomized. I mean, I think it's it's uh, in general after you account for the soil layers and so on uh, below the soil. You know, you might have uh, two to five, something like that. So you can you can pretty much count on if you want to make a shallow fort, mm. you can kind of count on being able to do that without a lot of difficulty if there's no caves around. And once you dig below that, then uh, as the settings are currently setting, and what will probably be the default setting, is you'll you'll pretty much always hit something after that. You'll have room to build your fort, but you'll have to explore the caves around it a little bit to see which directions you might have to turn and so on. Whereas if you're kind of a, a um, more of an architect type of player that doesn't really want to deal with that crap, uh, messing up your perfect designs and so on, I know a lot of people are like that, uh, there will be um, at least generation parameters available to not necessarily, I mean, you can shut it off entirely if you want, if you just want to have nothing down there. And just dig around and and so on. That's fine. Uh, or you can just dial it back a bit so there's not huge, huge open caverns everywhere and and so on. I mean, I think I think it's good for the default settings to have a lot of encounters with the underground because uh, it it just makes the game more lively. And I think a lively default settings are good. And are there multiple layers of undergrounds? Yeah. Right now, uh, it's set so that you've always got three. And you've got a couple uh, regular layers, and then you've got uh, down at the bottom, you're, you can pretty much uh, be assured to find some magma and stuff down there. So uh, you don't have to fish around for the perfect magma map in general or always start out next to a volcano. The benefit of starting out next to a volcano would be immediate access to magma instead of magma that you have to uh, ward off three layers worth of underground creatures to set up a single workshop. Well, that's awesome, though. So, yeah, there should, should be cool stuff down there. Um, and then, yeah, even more, of course, as you get down at the very bottom. But Yeah, now, uh, I wouldn't mind... Uh, I mean, I'm kind of a conservative player myself, but I wouldn't mind, you know, dealing with first, you know, levels of, uh, you know, cr- uh, critters attacking me if it, like, progressed, like, the top being easier and then the middle being a little harder and the bottom being hardest. Yeah, there's yeah, there, there's going to be yeah, there's going to be some some progression, uh, which is a concept we lost almost entirely in the move from two to three D. So okay. it'll be it'll be coming back a notion of progression. It shouldn't be entirely artificial because there are some some uh, uh, sort of in universe reasons for for going down to be bad which people are more or less aware of, right? There's bad things down there. <laughs> um, and that that kind of has a corrupting influence on your animal peoples and so on. And so you'll 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 find worse things down. So you can kind of control your your level of threat, which is um, 
it's not going to be quite as stark as it was in 2D where you knew that you had like this vertical strip. I can dig out my fortress. This vertical strip has the river. This vertical strip I can dig out my fortress. This vertical strip has the um, the chasm. This vertical strip I can dig out my fortress. This vertical strip has the lava, and so on. Uh, it's not quite that that uh, straightforward, but uh, there is a feeling of a you'll you'll kind of get a feel for the places where you can dig out your fortress. I think so. You'll have kind of a notion of that. It'll occasionally be interrupted, but mostly okay. <laughs> Which is probably how it should be. You, you should kind of be able to spread out how you want, but occasionally have little hiccups in your plan. I mean, just the, the overall variability of the features right now is is basically how mushroom jungly is it, how wet is it, um, and I'm going to be throwing in some more features like like um, stalactite, stalagmite, curtainy type things uh, down there to make make the cave seem a little more cave-like, but. Um, Overall, I think people, the, the proponents of like the underground diversity thread where they went, you know, crazy with all kinds of different things that, that you might expect in a fantasy underground. Um, overall, it's not going to be a very heavy coverage of that. There's just not enough time uh, to do that yet, but we're going to be slowly um, adding more and more things over time. It's not like this is the end of the story by any means. Okay, so let's take a break. Um We'll play some cleansing music here, and um, we will come back with some questions from the forums. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to Dwarf Talk. We're going to answer some of the community's most burning questions. First up, Darkerson asks, what are the specs of your own computer, operating system, RAM, CPU, etc., and how well does the game perform for yourself? It performs all right. I'm on, I'm on a quad core. I don't remember if it's like three, three megahertz or something. I, mean, I got it recently. It was $400, and it was, it's pretty good. I mean, I, I mean it's, it's got a... Uh, one of those, what are those, what are the crappy video cards called? What is it when you're, uh, um, you've got integrated. a video, integrated. <laughs> I have an integrated video card, so it's not, um, but actually that seems to be a good thing because I'm not running into the problems that people have when uh, they have good video cards and the game suddenly slows down to 10 frames per second because the OpenGL is, is outmoded. Um, so I don't, I don't need to use the 40D, you know, 16 or whatever number we're up to releases to get the full frame rate, but um, I, I so I, I managed luckily to get a computer that actually runs Dwarf Fortress pretty well. Uh, when you get up to a lot of dwarves, of course, I have the same speed problems that that other people do when you have 200 dwarves running around and so on, which is which is good because that means that I can uh, I have a chance of speeding those up and seeing that it's happening and so on uh, the same way as everyone else does. Uh, but it's 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 all right. I mean, I don't have a totally crummy computer anyway. It works. Fiari asks, you've previously stated that all the animal men have at least friendly diplomatic relations with each other, if not actually being the same nation. What is the relation of the underground animal men to the above ground animal men? So we're still working some of the the 
political considerations of the animal peoples out, uh, we always, Zach and I are always like, let's talk about this more, and then we, we fail to, to talk about it that day. But right now, the idea is that the, the underground animal peoples, uh, being that they're more closer to the, the uh, bad things that are down there, are a bit twisted and don't relate well with the above-ground animal people. And the, uh, they're basically hostile. The above-ground animal people have that kind of tense relationship uh, with the elves, and they, they work well with each other to some extent, although we've had this, uh, this back and forth when we're discussing the stories about, you know, the, the kind of the key question here, what almost all of it comes down to is, does a tiger man eat a deer man? <laughs> <laughs> and I think the, the latest answer to that question was that, yeah, yeah, Tiger Man probably eats a deer man, except uh, in the situation where you have the elves kind of working as a glue between the animal peoples in the uh, in areas with forest spirits and so on, there might be less predation going on between the actual animal peoples. But left to their own devices, they'll act more or less like the animals that they um, that they are humanoid versions of, uh, except they're they're more intelligent. Um, and down below, as I think we mentioned before, they're, they're going to be more civilized in a sense, but they're also all at war with each other and with your guys. I mean, war in the sense of uh, just mindless violence right now. So if you see two different groups coming on the screen at the same time, they're going to be fighting each other? It's, it's quite possible. It's quite possible that that'll happen. I have yet to... Uh, finalize the uh, group variables uh, for them, but this would be the idea, yeah. Granite26 wants to know, how do you see the balance of simulation versus gameplay playing out in adventure mode? Specifically, what sort of cheats to make things more interesting are there going to be? Uh, if you remember, there was a thread and he suggested that the game should uh, sort of make events happen to sort of fit the player a bit more. Like if you're a warrior, then you go into a town and suddenly a bandit will rob someone, sort of. So you kind of get hooked into the plot that way. Uh, yeah, I, 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 overall, my, my, my gut instinct is to avoid any kind of uh, plot aspect like that, where a plot is kind of generated then somehow based on your character. But your character should also be able to to integrate in the world, and then they should be able to react to who you are. And that's not that's not something that that I mean, if that sounds difficult or kind of pie in the sky, it's really not. Just if you've affiliated yourself with certain groups, or you've killed certain people on the road or whatever, uh, they should they should re- respond to you in that way. And Whatever the groups are going to be doing as we make the uh, with the with the improved sieges coming up, we're going to have to start working on AI for individual leaders and so on. And whatever they do on behalf of their groups or for themselves, those are the kind of actions that you'd be kind of getting tied into. And that 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 is a plot. Um, when it comes to so pretty much, I I don't think simulation and gameplay are separate aspects of whatever gameplay is. I'm not really sure. But uh, as far as as far as kind of artificially creating something, it shouldn't be necessary when things are working uh, well. Uh, once we have the entities as as actors, hopefully, I mean that's the idea. We're kind of we're kind of putting everything on that idea right now. Uh, if it's a failure, we'll have to adjust. 
but right now I feel pretty good about where it's gonna where it's gonna end up. Even though adventure mode is, you know, admittedly not fun to play right now, I, I think there I think I think we have to give that a chance before I think about scripting, you know, strange uh, encounters and things like that just for for gameplay purposes or whatever. Now at the same time, there's the notion of your starting situation, and the starting situation is. It, it's difficult to simulate that um, depending on how the timeline works and so on. So there might be, uh, uh, certainly at first, uh, that might be a bit more canned. I mean, right now it's just like you're in the town or whatever, and there's no history for your character at all. And if we change that, uh, it's going to be it's going to be difficult to simulate. So it'll it'll probably be a bit hacked up, even if it's just like, you know, you're starting because you've been tossed in a cave and sacrificed or whatever. I mean, if, if it's something like that, that's fine with me. As long as it doesn't randomly happen later, um, then I, I still feel good about what we've got. So that's the idea anyway. I have a question from Guy in the Crowd. Will the environment a dwarf is raised in affect what they like, dislike? For example, if a dwarf is unhappy as a child being raised in a fortress made entirely out of mind orthoclase, will said dwarf dislike orthoclase as an adult? Or as a counterexample, if a dwarf is happy while being raised in a room of kaolinite, will the said dwarf like kaolinite when they become an adult? <laughs> that's kind of a specific example, and I guess that's what it comes down to, though. Is We've had discussions in the past about... Uh, how the babies pop out right now with fully formed personalities and likes and dislikes and so on, and how that's silly. So then you've got to, you know, answer some nature versus nurture questions yourself and uh, then decide what is it that influences these things. And I haven't thought about, you know, that deeply what's going in the game and what's not for that. It's just, it's just recognized as one of those kind of third tier problems that eventually needs to be dealt with. Uh, in terms of, of future development, so I mean, uh, yeah, I don't have so I don't have specific opinions on the on the on the uh, on the things put there, but I mean, certainly children should acknowledge their parents' professions, and you know, if they're given toys as a child, that can that should be able to influence them and so on, uh, and that it's not difficult to do any specific example of that. Uh, especially if you add things like, you know, kids playing with toys, which obviously has to happen sometime. We have these toys that no one ever uses right now. They're just trade goods, which is kind of silly. The same thing for musical instruments. And once they can use those things, then adding, you know, a specific influence there is, is something that's, that's pretty trivial. And you just need to have enough of those things that the process, um, seems natural and, uh, you know, it's it's like I said, it's not a it's not a high priority thing, but it's something we'd like to do. You know, vaguely along uh, those lines. Considering, or Akazar asks, considering other changes in the ways body work, bodies work, um, will creatures age, and will that affect their abilities? Creatures age now in a few ways. Um, they just age numerically, and then they they die of old age if they in fact have an old age parameter. And the first thing we've done that isn't just a number or a single number representative of their age anyway uh, is, you know, wrinkles, hair, graying, and stuff like that. As for actual, say, your, your attributes uh, fading and eventually accumulating illnesses and so on, uh, I think that stuff should definitely go in the game. I think that adds a lot of um, 
uh, aside from just being a simulation, when you when you look at the storylines and so on, and storylines of a bunch of fantasies and myths and so on, you know, having an infirm character or a character suffering some kind of disability or so on, uh, as they get older, um, it can it can add a lot of uh, add a lot to a story. So I think I think that kind of thing, just putting it in the game would would lead to to a lot of positive uh, aspects in in terms of storytelling and so on. So I, I'm definitely all for that, and it's just a matter of doing it. I don't think it's that difficult to do. When we get to things like uh, diseases and so on, we we have kind of fair game for even getting rid of. Right now, there's just this kind of silly, um, you die at this time. It's like every every character. Um, Say the dwarf. I don't remember what the numbers are anymore. For a human, I think it's from 60 to 120 in the game. So it just picks the number right at the beginning of the game when a creature is created. It says you're going to live to be 87 years old, and it looks at another creature and it's like you're going to be 63 when you die. <laughs> and so you've got this <laughs> kind of up. death. Yeah, you've got this death clock hanging over each of the characters. And it would be the ideal situation, I think, is to just rather use our overall health variables and so on. And maybe their previous injuries and all that kind of thing, you know, whatever whatever factors figure into uh, diseases, and use that to to come up with a uh, more realistic uh, aging system, mm-hmm. so that they, uh, I mean, it's it, it, in a sense is kind of going to be kind of depressing if you have a fortress that runs for a long time and you can see these diseases accumulating and so on. But I think it I think it would be uh, a good change overall, and we're we're definitely going to do that sometime. How how old do uh, elves live right now? Uh, right now they are immortal, immortal, m m e immortal. <laughs> I don't know. Does how to that mean that we're going to have tons of populations of elves? I'm- well, that's what kind of what happens. People talk about the elf zerg rush or whatever. I mean, they they do become populated. So I mean, it's a question you have to answer anytime you. I mean, people, including ourselves, flippantly flippantly include immortal races in their fantasy settings, and a lot of questions go unanswered. It's like how how often do they breed? What does it mean when you have someone working really hard at learning a skill for a thousand years? <laughs> uh, and those 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 questions generally just get kind of uh, ignored, and there's nothing that special about immortal races, or they or they they answer those questions, but only in really specific uh, ways uh, for specific parts of the story or whatever. But with the, with a larger simulation, then all of the side effects also kind of rear their heads, like like we've got these giant elven armies and so on. Uh, you know, uh, making the forests not safe to be near. And so right now, just the <laughs> fact that the elves don't expand outside of their forests um, is the thing that saves you from from having a world full of elves. <laughs> and, so, and goblins are the same way. Goblins are also immortal. And it's, uh, I mean, we're going to keep them that way, though, and we're just going to try and make the necessary uh, adjustments. There will be cultural adjustments or physiological adjustments so that the um, the immortality can stay because we want to have immortal races because it raises a lot of interesting questions and plot points and so on. It's good to have them in there, I think. And uh, But right now they haven't been answered to satisfaction uh, because the, the elves are, are breeding machines. They're just kind of locked in their forest. But um, 
the forests are very dangerous to get near if you've seen those world generation battles where it's like 4,000 versus 100 or whatever because <laughs> uh, the, the elves have, have just been kind of stocking up. I mean, there are artificial caps right now in populations. It's just supposed to simulate food or something, but um, it's, it's, uh, it's not wholly satisfactory, especially when we get to the pre-caravan arc resource stuff where it's actually tracking more closely how, how much food there is and so on. Uh, the problems are only going to escalate, I think. Um, although it could just end up uh, self-correcting as well, which would be nice. Okay, XSI asks... Well, that's kind of a tongue twister, isn't it? Um, dwarven strongholds seem to have tunnels between them. Would it be possible to eventually make one of those in fortress mode? probably useful to get migrants and dwarf caravans while being sieged. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a, a dev item on that. I don't know if it was called Deep Outposts or something like that. Uh, and it's, and it's. Um, I think it originally sprang forth from a suggestion someone posted, so there's probably a few threads on it as well. Where, yeah, we're definitely, we're definitely for that. The, the, the issues that arise are the same issues that always arise when you have off-site sites. You know, how can you... Um, how do you connect it up? How does digging commence off map and so on? And the same thing would go to like uh, building an above ground wall or something, um, or above ground roads and, and that kind of thing. How do you build that site when your view is restricted to a single fortress? But I think those, I mean, those questions are, are just kind of a matter of making a good decision about it. I don't think they're, they're super hard and we're definitely planning to do that. So it it would be, um, and especially because those tunnels are there. I mean, the fact that the tunnels are there is one of those things that kind of demands a uh, demands satisfaction uh, in terms of um, you know, actually being able to do it yourself or getting rid of them. Um, and uh, so it's just a matter of right now you can't designate digging on the edge of your map, and if you can designate, you know, I want to dig there, I want to dig a tunnel then that's got to be some kind of special requirement or you have to have, you know, say, you know, five or six miners leave the map and do that digging for you. Uh, and it's going to tie into a number of things. It's going to tie into having little, like when you become a capital or something, having outposts outside of your map and sending armies off the map, having those larger populations we talked about last time. Uh, all of it ties in again to that to that kind of thing. So I imagine those questions will start to be answered around that time. Flaming Dorf and P Mantics ask, how do you motivate yourself to get working? Um, well, I, I, I like what I'm doing, so it's it's mostly it's mostly uh, just something that I I want to do. But sometimes when I'm tired or so on, uh, coffee. Now I didn't used to be on caffeine. I'm trying to get off it again, but. Um, I, uh, yeah, drinking coffee and sugary foods and so on. <laughs> Just, uh, I mean, it's not a matter of, I mean, I always want to work on the game. It's always something I want to do, but just if I'm in a, in a physically bad state, um, I further mess up my body for short term gain, uh, <laughs> to, to, uh, to drive myself on, uh, a little bit, a little bit harder. Uh, but in terms of, I mean, just having, having a project that you really want to work on, um, is is enough motivation I think if you if you have something you really want to do then at least for me uh, 
getting up and working on it for a long time is is something that's you know kind of a joy <laughs> so i mean i like i like the the uh, the fact that i get to work on it now and um yeah mostly it's just just intermittent grumpiness and so on and distractions like um forum stuff or or whatever certain emails and that kind of thing that that uh pull me away from it but otherwise it's kind of my my default activity <laughs> is to be working on the game now Cool. I have a question from uh, Zantan. He says, in the first talk, you mentioned that sometime soon the interactions between different religious, family, and guild factions would become important to gameplay. Could you give more specifics on the game effects of these interactions and how you'd be able to re- uh, how would you be able to affect them other than managing room quality and changing the happiness of various people? So if we're talking about uh, just for specific examples, say a um, in dwarf mode, you have because uh, it would apply to kind of all of the modes. But if you're talking about a fortress here, and you have, say, I don't know, a miners guild and uh, a couple competing religions, and um, you know, there's a few other things you could imagine, I guess, uh, that uh, that tie into that your family groups and so on. Then, in terms of management, the the right now, what you'd have the powers you have are the official powers of your dwarf site. So, uh, right now, I think the the mayor makes decisions when he meets with people, or at least it was this way in the 2D version um, when when people were meeting with him, uh, and it might happen still to some extent. For instance, he'd get a bunch of requests from the Miners Guild to go ahead and um, add more mining jobs or something, and you might mandate something, mandate a certain number of jobs be completed, or change the wages, that kind of thing. Those sorts of actions, because they do have a really kind of official air about them, um, putting more of those actions in the control of the player, I think, just kind of, I mean, it's sort of a legislative matter, but it's also... um, taking requests from from those groups. I mean, what do they want? What are they fighting about? If it's something that's that's related to the economy, like with guilds, I think it's a lot more manageable. If you have two religions competing with each other, then digging out the, the, the temples and things they request um, uh, would make them happy, keeping those things roughly the same size or proportional to their populations and so on uh, might be what's required there. Uh, I don't think it would descend into total randomness and misery, uh, except in those, you know, some, I mean, I guess sometimes it always does, but uh, it should be manageable. I think, so what you're going to need is more control through the official actions of the, the nobles of the site, or nobles, appointments, elected officials, whatever you want to call them. Nobles is a shorthand because they used to all be nobles. Um, I think that's going to be the main method of control. Uh, or, or player control over the over the situation, um, and as as well as just being able to actually read their requests and and see what what kind of strife is going on. There should be more feedback if you've got something that's really messing with you like that. Um, but other than that, I think I think uh, you know when when certain uh, conflicts break out in the fortress, then. 
I mean, it's almost like one of those prison games where you have to put them on lockdown or something. I'm not, I'm not quite sure how you deal with an actual something that that erupted if it, if it's a little too late. If you just have to keep them in different burrows or something. I mean, it, it, yeah, it reminds me of of those things where you have to keep the uh, the the prison gangs in different cell blocks or whatever, different parts of the main yard. <laughs> yeah, I, I wonder. I mean, it's it's. I mean, it's it's not something that that's fully thought out, obviously, and. Uh, it, it should be interesting. <laughs> Hipster scumbag from Something Awful wants you to talk about board games. Board game? Uh, do you, so do you mean like board the... Board games the, do you like? Oh, board games do I like? Um, I haven't played a board game for a long time, pretty much, except for, um, I mean, like chess and go, I guess. Uh, I, I stopped playing a couple years ago. And before that, it was just stuff we played as a kid. But, I mean, I never... I mean, I remember someone asked me about German board games um, a couple months ago. And I've seen a German board game played. I think at our get-together, was were they playing one of those, like Settlers or something? Um, and uh, But I never, I've never I've never played one. So, uh, yeah, not a, not a whole lot of experience there. Especially with the new stuff that really seems to be taking off. Well, thank you, Tarn, for uh, <laughs> joining us and uh, for programming Dwarf Fortress. We all appreciate it. And hey, everybody, while you are listening, and if you could, why don't you throw a couple dollars in the chip jar over on his his site there? Do it. It'll make you feel good. That's It'll right. make you That's feel right. really good. Give him all of your money. <laughs> or at least a couple bucks, you know, enough to, to buy a latte or something. Yeah, that's right. We'll feed the cat. That eats a lot. He's a growing kitty. <laughs> so, everybody, thanks for joining us on our third podcast on Dwarf Fortress Talk. Uh, this is Rainseeker, and I've been joined by Captain Tastic and Tarn Adams. And Tarn has agreed to uh, read the credits, but Tarn, you have to read the credits while talking to your cat. All right, Mr. Scamps, where'd you go? See, see, if he leaves, no, there he is. He's up on the tree. It's hard to find him now. He's. Like always, the tree is about as tall as I am. So he's way up there. All right, Mr. Scamps. So, Mr. Scamps, this time the um, the music, as usual, was, was brought to us by the lovely and talented Olie. Someone will have to tell me how to pronounce that. Olia. Olia. And um, the, the transcri- transcript um, uh, will be transcribed by the... Uh, talented and hardworking Malox, and of course the the uh, this is uh, Scamps. Scamps, he's sleeping. He's not even listening. <sighs> now I try really hard to to teach this this animal to do the right thing, but he's he's never pays attention. Constant violence, and you know I think it might be time for Ritalin. <laughs> Scamps, Scamps. No, he's he's not even paying attention.
I just know someone on the forum's gonna take that seriously. What the Ritalin the, thing? Well, I'm not gonna drug my cat. Well, what did we? No, we drugged him when when he got denatified. We gave yeah. him we gave him oral pain medicine. So I guess I have a history. Is there any feedback about that? Uh, no one seemed to think it was a negative thing. The denatification. Of course, people were like, you know, are you getting your cat declawed? I'm like, no, I'm not getting my cat declawed. So he still has his claws, I can tell. Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's much violence going on in this house. I got wounds on my hands and so on. But uh, no, 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 people don't, people don't mind. The, uh, there, was, there wasn't negative feedback as far as the denatification goes, even though it was a kind of selfish procedure on my part because I didn't want him spraying all over the house and starting yeah. fights with me and trying to roam outside and so on um, when he's trapped inside here. He's an indoor cat. Um, well- What? Who said that? Me, 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 da, da, da. Hello? I'm here. Who's Who else is here? Am I here? Captain Tastic, Captain, Captain Tastic is here. I just want to warn you guys, I will be stepping up soon to put some spaghetti in my pot. As long as it's not your pocket, yeah. I thought that's yeah, I thought you were going to say pocket, too. They're <laughs> <laughs> like... I envisioned the whole standing up, and I was like, oh, I'm going to put spaghetti in my Like, pocket. let me warn you guys, I'm about to lose my damn mind. <laughs> and then following with, with root beer in my eardrum. <laughs> now that's the wind going to the... Uh, yeah, unfortunately, there's no such real thing as dead air on a podcast, but... <laughs> it'll, it'll, it'll be gone in the flash. Good job. <laughs> that reminds me of sound effects from uh, from my uh, the the drag slay game when we had sound effects when you're running through the entire uh, battle. It would be text like from adventure mode, except it just kind of scroll up the screen when you're fighting. You because there's no spatial component, and so it just had the text scroll up the screen. You just press enter while you're fighting. And whenever you, whenever you hit something with like a um, a sword and chop the limb off, it was like, <laughs> kind of reminds me of the sounds we were making there. But <laughs> oh, dang it! Hang on one second. Tactical nukes. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Yeah, well, there's always always little things going on, especially when you have like seven thousand animals in your house. I mean, I've only got one, and he's majorly messed up one of the recordings already. So I uh, can only imagine what having like a bunch of parrots and rats and things <laughs> running around your house. You don't, Mr. Mr. Cat. Mr. Cat has no tail. Mr. Cat's got little ears. What you doing, Mr. Cat? Alright. <laughs> I'll try and try and keep the interruptions to a minimum. That's, that's going in at the end. <laughs> I might have to sing to the cat occasionally. You never know. <laughs> He's just sitting here inviting song. 